Amen. Philippians chapter 3, if you have your Bibles. Philippians chapter 3. Super excited about tonight. We got some uh, special vocalists and instrumentalists, and uh, the whole team has been putting so much into this. So I encourage you to come back tonight, 6 o'clock, to hear them. And uh, the kids are participating as well. It's going to be a great time. And I did hear there's going to be cookies afterwards. So you, you may... You may want to come, and you don't want to miss out. But Philippians chapter 3, as we look at this peace on earth here this morning. Now, growing up in Ponca City, Oklahoma, about an hour from here, and attending Ponca City High School, and being a Ponca City Wildcat, we had an enemy. Now, Enid was a rival, Stillwater was a rival, Bartlesville, cities like this were rivals, but this was an enemy. This was an enemy, and of course the scales were not quite even with this enemy, because this enemy was more resourced, more equipped, they were bigger, they were stronger, they were faster, pretty much across the boards. They are known as Tulsa Union. Or just union. Yeah, you can boo if you want to. That's fine. No, I'm just joking. Don't do that. But on nearly every occasion and in nearly every spot, especially football, and in nearly every category, they were better this, better that. For example, like my senior year, we won every game in the regular season of football except against Union. We lost like 47 to 7 or something like that. My, my best friend uh, was on the front page of the Tulsa World because he was a punter, and it was not for good reasons. The entire Union football team was like on top of him for blocking a punt. I mean, that's just the kind of team that Union was. They were our enemy. Well, after graduation... I went off to college and played soccer at Northern Oklahoma College in Tonkawa, NOC Tonkawa, for the Mavericks. And by the way, that soccer team has now moved to Enid. They're no longer the Mavericks, but the Jets. Um, But when I arrived, I discovered that one of my new teammates was a graduate of Tulsa Union. I would also later find out that my would-be wife was a graduate from from Union, but we'll talk about that at another time. But we had played against this guy. I recognized him. I knew him. We had played against him and his team for many years. But there we were overnight, a transformation in identification occurred. I was no longer identified as a Ponca City High School student, nor was he identified as a Tulsa Union High School student. We were both now identified as NOC Mavericks. As a result of this transformation, I now played not against an enemy, but alongside a teammate, a brother, a fellow soldier. We had become part of one team. We went from being at odds with each other to being right with each other. The two at war were now at peace. Despite what the relationship was like before, despite results, Despite what was said or what was done, now because of the transformation and identification, there was peace between us. And in a way, just in a way, that's like our relationship with God. Romans 5.10, James 4.4, Galatians 5.17, Romans 8.7. We could go on and on, but in these verses, God is clear. Outside of Jesus, outside of Christ, pre transformation and identification where we go from sinners to sons and daughters 
When we were still in sin, still slaves to darkness, destruction, and death, in that state, before transformation, we were enemies to God. In our minds, in our hearts, in our very souls. Our thoughts, our actions, our reactions, our very selves were in opposition to God. Scripture says we had enmity with Him. Our desires were against Him. Our minds were hostile to Him. So it didn't matter our internal attributes, where we came from, who we were, our nationality, ethnicity, all that kind of stuff. didn't matter. It didn't matter our external accomplishments, where we went to school, what we did for a job, what we did with family and all that kind of stuff. It didn't matter what our truth was that we tried to live. In the eyes of God, as in the days of Noah, all of us were found unrighteous. We were found, in other words, not right before him and not right with him. We were, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, we were darkness. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We were, if you will, little devils and rebels. We were enemies to God. It's why I've said this before. It's why I'll say it again that we must not believe, because of this truth, it's why we must not believe the lie that God loves us just the way we are. You'll hear people say it. You'll hear pastors say it. God loves you, period, but not just the way you are. God invites you to him just the way you are. But he doesn't love you just the way you are. Listen, Jesus became who you are to crucify who you are in order to transform who you are into a new who you are. That is the message of the New Testament. To transform you into a new creation, to take you from darkness to light, from death to life, from little devil to little son or daughter. Ultimately, he came to give you a new who you are, born not of the flesh, John would say in John 1, but born of the Spirit of God. This is where we get that language that Jesus used in John 3, born again, to make you into a new creation. All of this because he loves you. He came seeking to give you, in him, a transformation in identification. Because that's the only way. That's the only way that you and I could be made right before him and made right with him. The only way that we could truly have peace. Listen, our internal attributes and our external accomplishments would never be enough to transform who we are. It's as Jesus said, it's what's coming out of us that's defiling us. If we stand before God one day just as we are outside of Christ, he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. It's only do we stand in Christ does he say, come, my son or daughter. We were darkness, dead in our sins, little devils and rebels. We were enemies to God, Scripture reveals But then suddenly, like a trumpet in the darkness, like the sun's light splitting the morning night, a multitude of angels in the presence of shepherds and honestly the cosmos, seen and unseen, declared glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Peace. Among those with whom he is pleased. 
So in this declaration, it's humanity, listen, God is announcing to us a way, the way for us to be at peace, a way for us to be made right before God and with God. And the announced peace is directly tied to the birth and presence of a newborn baby in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago, one named Jesus. The Word become flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. What God is announcing is an authentic, true, eternal covenant of peace that has come and can only come in and through Jesus. It's as Paul said in Ephesians 2, listen, he himself, Jesus himself is our peace. He is our shalom, our erene, our peace. All throughout the New Testament, many have pointed this out, but this shalom, this peace that God came to announce It occurs in association with words like grace, mercy, love, joy, life. But also, it occurs in association with righteousness. A word that means to be made right before God, to be made right with God. A word that Paul uses right here in Philippians chapter 3. The presence of Jesus in us, he who is our peace, his presence in and through the Holy Spirit of God produces a soul restored, a soul redeemed, a soul reconciled to God, a soul made right before and with God, a soul, mind, heart, and body at peace. But Paul is very clear throughout all of his writings, and even here again in Philippians 3, We only enter into that reality of righteousness, into that reality of peace with God by faith. By faith. By faith specifically in Jesus. It says, John said in John 1, those who did receive him, he gave them the right to become his children. And the angel said it like this, peace on earth among those whom God has pleased. They're quoting scripture here. Well, as Hebrews 11 said, it's impossible to please God without faith. It's only those who receive Jesus by faith, in faith, through faith, who will be made right with God, who will enter into this eternal covenant of peace. And that is Paul's overall point right here in Philippians 3. Look there now, Philippians 3, verse 1 through 11. Paul says this, finally... My brothers and sisters, finally, church in Philippi, rejoice. Title of our series, Philippians, rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. And he writes about these things a lot. It's no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you or safe for you. Verse 2, look out, be on guard, be watchful for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision. We are the ones who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And we are the ones who put no confidence in the flesh. Though, Paul says, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, verse 5 circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. If there was a better Israelite out there, then they would not even be a match to me. 
As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless, at least according to man's standards. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, who is my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish or as dung in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own or in the flesh that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. So that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. Verse 11, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And we'll look at those last couple verses more in depth next week. But I was cut from the cloth of the Southern Baptist Convention. I belonged to this denomination generations before I was even born. I was born and raised in First Baptist Church of Ponca City. My parents were Sunday school teachers, involved in a variety of ministries from youth, children, adult choir, my dad a deacon, chairman of the deacons many times. My grandparents were involved in their SBC churches. I still remember my grandpa going to all the national conventions and many important ones as well. I mean, I grew up in the SBC, conservative, evangelical, whatever you want to call it, camps, VBSs, seminary, pastoring, obviously, you name it. And you want to know what it all means when it comes to my eternal reality beyond this world. What all that means when it comes to my salvation, redemption, reconciliation, restoration, my peace before and with God. It all means nothing. Unless I place faith in Jesus. It means nothing. In comparison to knowing Jesus and being found in Jesus, it means nothing. Because God is clear, we are made right before him and with him, not by our works, not by our identity, but by his identity, by his works, by faith in Jesus. What Paul is getting at here is that it's not about the flesh, it's about the faith. It's not about the flesh, it's about the faith. As Paul would say elsewhere in Romans 5, 1, he said, listen, since we have been justified by faith, made right with God and before God by faith, then we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So even here, he's writing some of the similar things and basically saying, therefore, look out for the dogs. Look out for those evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Look out for those who very deceptively present to you a misbelief that righteousness, that being made right before God and with God, that peace comes from your works and identity 
in the flesh. Look out for those who say faith in Jesus is not enough. Those who say, no, 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 you still need to uphold this, or you still need to do that. You still need to keep this or have that. You still need to be a member of this. You still need to attend that. Watch out for those who try and sell you a righteousness and a peace by, in, or through internal attributes and external accomplishments. As Paul was dealing with. With those who are trying to tell them, listen, having faith in Jesus is not enough. You also have to uphold the law and all the demands of the law. Paul's saying, no, 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 you need to watch out for this. For those who are trying to sell you this kind of righteousness, because that product will leave you bankrupt in the end. And Paul knows that firsthand. And much like in Paul's day, our world promises righteousness and peace. Internal peace and external peace. All you must do is be true to yourself. Pursue self. Indulge self. Just be yourself. It's all about the self. Works and identity of the self. However, the reason so many still don't have peace and may never have peace, the reason our world continues to never have peace, why so many still aren't right before God and with God is because they continue to misbelieve. That righteousness and peace comes from internal attributes and external accomplishments. The self, the flesh, chasing, searching, wanting. But here's the thing, going down that road, and Paul knows this firsthand, going down that road, even though at first it seems right to the person, it leaves the self never capturing, never finding, never having the prize of peace. Because peace comes not from works or identity of the flesh, but it comes from faith in Jesus and in him alone. Listen, the only means, the only means by which you and I have a right relationship before God and with God, by which we enter into this eternal covenant of peace the Old Testament talks about, is surrender of the self by faith. Not preservation of the self by works. So again, how we are made righteous and how we have peace with God is we surrender the self by faith. Don't try to preserve the self by works. By faith, in faith, through faith, we surrender ourselves to Jesus. We deny self. We enter the ark of Jesus. And for those who do, which Paul is reminding his readers, listen, you've done this. You've entered into Jesus. Watch out for those who say that you haven't. You have placed faith in Jesus. You belong to him. Despite what these people are telling you, you still lack. You have it all in Jesus. And so for those who do, Paul reminds us, listen, you are the circumcision. Meaning you are the people of God. As Jesus told the woman at the well, man, there's coming a day where I'm seeking the ones who worship me in spirit and in truth. Those who are circumcised, not in the flesh, but the heart. And again, Paul argues this elsewhere, especially in Galatians, but he almost argues that's what it's always been about. Those are the faith of Abraham. Circumcision of the heart. Thus, because of that, 
Because we have received the Holy Spirit of God, because we've been born again, because it's not of the flesh but of the faith in Jesus, we put no confidence. We don't rely on, we don't trust in the flesh for righteousness, for peace. And if anyone could put confidence in the flesh when it comes to salvation, redemption, and righteousness, it's Paul. That's his point here. He had a spotless resume. It was unmatched and unparalleled. Paul lists seven personal superiorities in which he could actually boast. The first four are inherited privileges, internal attributes. This is my family. This is where I grew up. These are my people. While the other three are just personal accomplishments. Look at my education. Look at what I was about. Look at what I was doing. Paul had it all. He gained it all. But it was, as it pertains to righteousness, as it pertains to actually possessing peace, Paul's saying it was all nothing. It was all nothing. He knows there's no reason to put confidence in the flesh because it's not about the flesh, but the faith. And so we are the circumcision. Thus we put no confidence in the flesh. And so we consider past, present, future loss. All things a loss compared to knowing Jesus. And he uses this word here. It's a very vulgar, strong term. Some of your translations is rubbish. Others is literally dung. But it's a much stronger word than that. But it could also mean your reply to being confronted with rotting food. It's disgusting. It's nasty. It's rubbish. It's nothing. We consider everything lost, worthless, compared to knowing Jesus and being found in Jesus, who is our peace, who makes us right before God and with God. Oh, that I may gain Christ, not self. Oh, that I may be found in Christ and not in self. Paul's saying we reject all this. We consider it nothing compared to knowing Jesus. Everything else, it's like rubbish. It leaves you ultimately empty and lifeless and dark and in despair. It leaves you unjustified, still an enemy to God in your heart and mind and soul, bound by sin and to sin. It still leaves you a mess. The pot at the end of that rainbow isn't gold. It's spoiled food. It's rubbish. It's dung. Because peace comes not from the works of the flesh, but from the faith in Jesus. The only means by which we enter a right relationship before him and with him. Surrender the self by faith. Don't preserve the self by works. A few years ago, there was a massive snowstorm in upper New York. I mean, massive. Snow was falling at a rate of four inches an hour. By the time the snow stopped, there was 40 inches on the ground, and some of the drifts were even bigger than that. Well, driving that day was a man by the name of Kevin, who was about 60 years old. And according to the New York Times, while the storm was just raging all around him, Kevin was in his car about 15 miles from his house. And then all of a sudden, according to him, a belt in his engine came loose, knocked out the power steering, and forced him literally off the road and into a ditch as the snow was just piling down on him. So then he tries to fix the problem, and he tries and he tries, but he can't do it, so he gets back into the car, snow coming down, car's broken, and to top it off, there's no heat in the car, it doesn't work. So he starts calling 911, 
can't get through. Starts calling again, can't get through. Keeps calling and calling and calling for 10 hours, stuck in his car in this massive snowstorm. Again, unheated, broken car. And then to top that off, a snowplow was coming through and literally kicked up all this more snow and dumped it on his car. This, in essence, is what it looked like. You can see just a little bit of the car in this picture, but this is after some of it was dug out. So before that was dug, you literally couldn't see anything. He was trapped. Trapped in the cold, trapped in the darkness, hopeless and helpless, calling and calling. Eventually, his call gets through, but they can't directly trace where he's at. They can only kind of get the area in which he's at. So a police officer goes out there, shows up, and has no idea where he's at. Just sees white everywhere. Begins kind of walking around and was about to give up when he discovered what looked to be what he thought a mailbox sticking out of the snow. He got curious, and he walked over and began to dig and dig and dig to discover a vehicle buried in the snow. And after 10 hours trapped, Kevin was set free by this police officer. Now, just for a moment, put yourselves in Kevin's shoes. You're sitting in that car just before the officer entered your life. It's cold, it's dark, hypothermia and frostbite might be starting to set in because, again, you've been stuck for 10 hours. At that point, you're starting to feel hopelessness and helplessness. Despair is sinking into your bones. But then all of a sudden, a great light appears and fills your vehicle with this overwhelming sense of goodness and warmth and beauty and hope and peace. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. We were stuck in cold, trapped in darkness, The effects of sin had sunk deep into our bones. Hopelessness and helplessness consumed us. Despair, a spiritual reality of desolation, impending death, outside of Jesus, pre-transformation. When we were still in sin, still slaves to darkness, destruction, and death, in that state, we were enemies to God in our minds, in our hearts, and in our soul. We were in opposition to God. We had enmity with him. Our desires against him, our minds hostile to him. In the eyes of God, we were unrighteous. We were found not right before him and not right with him. But then suddenly a great light appeared. As Jesus would call himself in John 8, the light of the world appeared. And he filled our world with goodness and warmth and beauty and hope and announced and declared to the world, peace on earth. He made a way for us to escape the trapped car, to be made right before him and with him, to have peace with God. And we enter that peace by faith, and faith alone in Jesus. Because God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. And through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you 
by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope that is held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. We are at peace before God and with God. Because of Jesus and all because of faith in Jesus. To the glory of God the Father. But here's the thing. We're not just to possess peace. We're to promote peace. In other words, you and I, we have peace. We got peace in Jesus. Now we're to go and give that peace. We're to promote and proclaim a message, not of the flesh, but of the faith. Not of works and identity in the flesh, but of faith in Jesus. So many are trapped. So many are still searching and waiting. You and I have the peace and the message of peace. We got it. So let's give it. Let's promote it. Let's proclaim it. Glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. With heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to invite the team forward. And we're going to have a time of invitation. And for some of us, we have been banking on our identity and our works in the flesh. But Paul is trying to remind us that it's about the faith in Jesus. Where's your heart? It's not about your internal attributes and external accomplishments. It's about the work and identity of Jesus and you placing faith in that. Surrendering self, not preserving self. He's the only means by which we have peace. He himself is our peace. So maybe God this morning is literally calling you out of darkness, out of death, out of a trapped car, so to speak, to enter into the peace found only and in Jesus. To be made right before him and to be made right with him. To receive not a righteousness of your own, but the righteousness from God's that's found only in and through Jesus. For others of us, he's reminding us, listen, you have this peace. Be on guard of those who are telling you you're still lacking something. You have everything you need in Jesus. But he's calling you to proclaim the message of peace to that neighbor, to that coworker, that family member. The peace is found in Jesus. Come to Jesus. We're his ambassadors. We're his messengers now. He's given us this ministry of reconciliation to go and live at peace with all, to, to make peace, to strive for peace, to proclaim peace. So maybe he's just placing somebody on your heart to mind that you just need to pray for that person. But whatever the Spirit's leading you, even in this moment, even as I pray, you'd be obedient to that. You'd be obedient to that. Even as I pray, if you need to come down here, you can. Myself, Weston, we're going to be down here. If you need to talk to somebody, you need to pray, you need to make a decision, we're going to be down here. But be obedient to whatever the Spirit is laying upon your heart right now. Father, we come to you. We thank you. We love you. Glory to you in the highest. 
peace on earth you have declared. You've given us your only begotten son, Jesus. You have made a way for us to be made right before you and to be made right with you. To have a transformation in identification, to go from sinners to redeemed sons or daughters. Father, if there's anybody in this room who is not in that peace, who does not possess that peace, may you overwhelm them with your calling upon their heart and mind to come to you just as they are in order to transform the who they are. That they might become a new creation in Christ, a son or daughter born again. Father, we all know somebody, a family member, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor. All of us will come across somebody's path this week who does not have the peace of Jesus. May we proclaim that message of peace to them. And may you draw all people into yourself, especially during this time of year. In Jesus' name I pray. I'm going to ask that you stand with us as we sing this. If you have a decision to make, you come down during this time.